You're about to listen to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which comes to you free every single week over on geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy helping us keep this show free, and I know you do, pop on over to patreon.com forward slash geekinthecity, where we have all kinds of levels that get you some fantastic awards and benefits. But if you can't help us out there, just please share this show over on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And as always, our opening and closing theme brought to you by nerd rock group Megathruster. And now, let's get on with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. One, two, three, four! It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. Talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going more factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Now we're gonna save the day. Alright! And hello, and welcome to issue 560 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. Uh, and I'm one of your other hosts, Spina Rita. And I'm your other host, Cable Washitani. And this week, we are joined by the amazing artist uh, on the other side of the world right now, Nicholas Scott. Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Excited thought, to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I honestly thought this would be a lot harder to schedule with the time difference, and then I typed in the time and I was like, oh no, it's not going to be a super weird time. It's not too bad. Not too yeah. bad. I had to do a, um, one of those, uh, DC fandom things, panels, but they were trying to schedule us all. Uh, there was London, there was New York and there was LA and there was Maine. And to accommodate Ooh. everybody Ooh. as best as possible, I drew the short straw and I was awake at three o'clock in the morning. Today? That was rude. No, this was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Because I didn't think that was the... F- I thought the Fandome was coming out in a few weeks. Or is it just yeah, like recorded it's, uh, earlier? I think it's coming out end of August. So yeah. th- there were a whole bunch of panels that were co- kind of pre-recorded. Uh, don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I don't know why I, I couldn't. <clears throat> I think so, because I've heard a few other creators mention that they've been recording yeah, stuff right. too. So, yeah, I think yeah. I think as long as you don't I'm talk... I'm sure there'll what- be a whole lot of live stuff as well. <laughs> Or you're going to, like, a text message in about a day saying, like, Nicola, why did you... Di- ah! Yeah, you're in trouble again. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. They have to hear this before they, you know, went and did anything about it. You're probably fine. Yeah, it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> We're so underground. <laughs> right. So uh, for folks who may not be familiar with your work, uh, you've done a lot of stuff for DC. So, like, Secret Six, Earth 2, Titans... And then, of course, your work with Greg on Wonder Woman. Hmm. Um, and then over on the image side, your amazing uh, creator-owned title, Black Magic, which we all just fucking adore over here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, and issue 12 just came out last week, right? Of, of Black Magic. Yes, that's right. That's right. Very uh, excited. That was a, an issue that I painted. I swear to God, it was at least two years ago. <laughs> uh, it's It's... 
been a slow uh, go uh, for this arc. It's just been a lot of a lot of other stuff on, particularly for Greg. He's had a lot of you know film and TV work on lots of Hollywood stuff. So you know yeah. he's he been, just doesn't seem that busy. busy. <laughs> like he's not doing anything. Yeah, he just know. sits around all day. <laughs> Get off your ass and do some work. All he does are podcasts <laughs> but, um, all fucking day long anymore. <laughs> yep. He's yeah, on all of them now. And... That's right. Oh my god. Isn't he? he's, got, he's got a publicity machine just grinding him up. But um yeah, I think usually when scripts come in slow, whether it's at DC or it's with Greg and Marvel, I get very shoddy because I get, you know, as soon as I have a spare day, it's like I've got to fill this day because I have to keep my momentum going. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they were going a bit slow a couple of years ago, and this is because like suddenly quite a lot of Hollywood stuff was winding up, um, for Greg and instead of getting sort of irritated by it or filling it with like, you know, bits and pieces of DC stuff or whatever else was going, um, I was like, I I never have time to do anything. What are the things that, what are the big things that we've been putting off for the last 15 years that, you know, now might be a good time to do. (laughs) And so we kind of got that stuff going. We, We have been talking about moving out of the city for 10 years and we finally did that. And we have been talking about buying a house for 10 years. We finally did that. And just sort of like big things that take up quite a bit of time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I've had free time, I am not hassling anyone for more scripts. I'm not letting anyone know that I've got time. And just sort of, you know, when a script comes in, I'm like, oh, I've got to work again. God damn it. When really I just want to play house. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I will have the same problem. I'm like, but I could, you know, I could just, you know, I could try out this new recipe instead of working. Yeah, I, right. I was yeah, going to say, what are your... There's been a lot of that. What are your uh, your preferred domestic hobbies? Like cooking, crafts. Um, I'm a I'm a sort of old school DIYer, crafty person. So I can't have anything and not want to do something to it. So <laughs> as soon as we bought this house, you know, I was doing like a bird, board and batten um, wall treatment on the living room walls, and we were painting every room and. Currently, I'm sort of discovering gardening, having sort of lived in apartments for the last, you know, 25 years. Um, having a garden to play with is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's getting better cathartic. at cooking, going from having a little apartment kitchen to having like a, a reasonably decent sized house kitchen. It's like, oh gosh, I can, I can start cooking stuff now, uh, for real. But I also, you know, I like to sort of make a lot of myself furnishings and, uh, you know, give me a power tool and I'm very happy camper, you know, <laughs> be drilling into walls and <clears throat> customizing all kinds of shit. So, and you know, now that we own a house rather than we're renting, there's been a lot of stuff to do and there's a, a huge list and it will take years and I'm very happy about all of it. There's always something when you, when you have a, uh, when you own a home, because it's always your responsibility. I know yeah. that there's a lot of like DIY projects you can do when you rent also, but once, once it's yours, there's, uh, it opens up more opportunities too. Cause you can like yeah. get into some structural changes if you, mm-hmm. if you really want to get crazy. 100%. And so, yeah, you know, there's a whole list of things that are constantly getting reprioritized, uh, 
whether or not we can afford to do them, whether or not I have time to do them, uh, you know, or whether or not something suddenly needs doing. Um, and that's kind of a lot of fun. And the, the stress of it is a lot of fun too. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny. Now I'm imagining you just replying to Greg saying like, take your time on the script. The tomatoes are coming in. So good. <laughs> oh no, I'm not even bothering with that. He hates it because I'm just sort of disappearing. And he'll be emailing me saying, hello, are you still there? And I'm like, yes, I'm here. Just, um, you know, just give me some scripts when you're ready. <laughs> no rush. I don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, well, no, speaking we of scripts, of, you know, um, how is it, uh, how's it feel getting back into black? You said you drew it like two years ago, but, um, this issue. Yeah. Um, it's, it is probably my favorite project to do. Like apart from the fact that I love working on Greg's scripts anyway, you know, I've been a big fan of his writing before we even met, um, which is, you know, well over a decade ago now. Um, but this project in particular, there's something, um, I think because, you know, we're not under the monthly schedule uh, that I was under at DC for a decade, you know, that that is in itself quite nice that we can sort of, I, I want to have some discipline about it, but I don't feel like I'm grinding myself to the bone. Um, but the, the sort of, art of doing the story is the most creatively satisfying um, and also uh, when I was working at DC which I was exclusively for 10 years I was just penciling and when I started I had only sort of in the last year or so beforehand decided that I was just going to be a penciler that I wasn't going to try and be a pinup artist and I wasn't going to try and paint and I wasn't going to try and do any of the things. I was just going to be a penciler because that seemed to be where the most of the work was. And that mm -hmm. seemed to be sort of like an interesting challenge, um, you know, sort of really learning how to crosshatch and all that shit and, and, you know, do interesting line weights and, and such because comics were kind of new to me at the time. Um, and, but then, you know, I'm just penciling for like 10 years and I kind of lost all of my other skills because there was no time to play with any of the other um, mediums that I have played with in the past. Right. And so when Greg and I were sort of talking about doing Black Magic, um, I just sort of started pulling out all of my old tools and buying bits and pieces of new tools just to sort of experiment with, to see see what could be sort of interesting and challenging. Uh, and at the end of the day, it came down to probably the, the hardest one to do and the longest time to take, which is painting the book. Um, but I liked the finish of it so much. And for me, there's something very, um, it's very emotional for me because uh, my mum taught me how to paint when I was little. And she was sort of my first and primary art teacher throughout my life. And she died a decade ago. And Rowan Black, our lead character, kind of looks a bit like my mum did in the 70s. She was sort of, mm. you know, a little bit rock and roll. And, and uh, she was quite beautiful. And I sort of purposefully designed Rowan to be 
a little bit of a mix between Linda Carter and my mum. <laughs> and any time we're in any of Rowan's domestic spaces, there's sort of exaggerated versions of the house we grew up in. You know, it's a much bigger sort of grander version of the house that we grew up in. And a lot of the paintings on the walls are paintings of my mother's or paintings of my grandmother's. And so in the creating of the art, um, I'm sort of a little bit in communion with my mum because she taught me how to paint and because so much of what I'm putting on the page are sort of lessons from her or paintings of hers or furniture of hers. It's very nostalgic and very, um, very sort of emotionally fulfilling and feeding. Um, and so therefore the doing of this book is just one of the most pleasant things to do. And I get to pencil and ink and paint, uh, in the one, in the one series and we own it. And so, you know, there, there are so many factors that go into why this is really satisfying. But if I do a DC thing for a while and then I come back, just that sort of ability to just sort of draw a page, you know, and I'll do, a, I, I work in batches, you know, sort of a few scenes at a time. That thing of just sort of being able to draw a page and then be able to sort of sit down and paint the page. There's something really pleasant about the experience and it's it's good for my hands it's good for my eyes they just sort of get to exercise in slightly different ways every few days rather than consistently the same way all day every day it was a really long answer to a no no it was it was great i actually really like that answer because i think it's uh it really illustrates the the difference when you're working with this book versus other books um you know what you were joking about, like, oh, don't worry about getting me script pages. Take your time. Uh, as much as you might love working as an artist, it is still work. And sometimes that can be something to to dread or want to put off. But there's uh, the way you describe, you know, thinking about your mom and putting in all of those different elements from your, your childhood and your life into a piece of art that you do differently Um in terms of technique versus some of your other works is very like it's almost spiritual. Like, like there is definitely like a communion aspect to that uh, as you yeah. describe it, that I think makes it, it has to feel really special to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I, I also like that your, your long explanation also explains to me um, the questions I had when I was reading the issue uh, uh that has both Rowan's mother and grandmother in it. And I kept looking oh, yeah. at the design work and I'm like, I don't like, I've seen a lot of families in comics before. Very rarely do I see them actually depicted that they look like they're related. And right. you can okay, see, right. you can see uh, like who, who you were drawing for, for, uh, for Rowan still comes across in both the mother and grandmother. It's like, I can see those familial resemblances in the way that you've drawn them. So that's, that's a hell of a detail to put in. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Look, um, I'm sort of quite specific when I'm casting, you know, I'll sort of look for faces that uh, give me the idea of what I want. I'm never trying to sort of make any of the characters look like a particular actor or look like a particular person, mm-hmm. but just sort of, giving myself some, some sort of structural um, foundation 
on which to then create faces that I can recreate panel after panel, you know, at, at various different angles. You know, uh, all artists kind of tend to repeat their faces over and over again. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm absolutely doing the same thing here. You know, Alex and Rowan and uh, Morgan in particular are very much faces, you know, versions of faces that I do pretty often. Um but there are specifics about those three in particular that make them distinctly them and not the other versions of similar faces that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because I've kind of taken elements from uh, real people that just sort of help to ground it a little bit um, and keep it sort of interesting and challenging. I, I've noticed that uh, about your style. I always sort of just think about him as like the, the Nicholas Scott facial bone structure that I think is very similar throughout some of your works, but they, you do still manage to give each character a separate identity, even though I'm like, that's a Nicholas Scott face. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> well, like, I think, I think you, you would sort of, um, I think a lot of artists, the, the face that they're the most familiar with is their own. And so you will see elements of their own features sort of pop up sometimes in the, just the sort of reoccurring face shapes or nose shapes, the sort of the, the not as distinguishable features, you know, like eyes and mouths and eyebrows, you can be quite specific with, but the sort of, you know, I suppose you can with noses as well, but uh, certainly on female faces where you don't want to be putting in too much uh, heavy detailing and contouring, um, it's, you tend to sort of draw what you know the most. And so I know a lot of my female characters are kind of versions of me, particularly at different ages and versions of my mum at different ages. Um, Sometimes my sisters are in there as well. and hilariously, one of my common guy faces, which Morgan is a version of, um, is almost exactly what my husband looked like <laughs> at that age too. You know, when I met him, I was like, oh, my God, I've drawn that face before. That's really weird. Um, just because he has the type of face that I draw quite a lot. <laughs> the, uh, the most recent example that came to mind was when you did the variant cover for Lois Lane. Uh, I can't remember what oh, yeah. issue it was. But um, yeah. it's something about the hair, too. I always really enjoy the way you, you draw hair. It has a very like it has a very alive feeling it's, to it. It's always in motion. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yes, which you don't see in a lot of lot of art styles for sure. Also, really, uh, I, I, it's such a wasted opportunity to not put movement in with hair. You know, when you're drawing static images, you know, a cape is a great opportunity to <laughs> yeah. get sort of movement. Um, Let's say if you don't have a cape, play is, with other things. Yeah, exactly. Hair is a great opportunity to do that, and it doesn't really matter about how short the hair is. And to me, like, Lois, I love Lois. She's one of my favourite sort of DC heroines. Um, She will always, for me, be a little bit Margot Kidder, you know, because she Mm -hmm. was my Lois Lane growing up. Um, There'll always be an element of that, but there's an, an actress that was sort of around 
mainly in the 90s is kind of when I'm remembering her from. Though I'm sure she's done lots of stuff since. What was her name? It was something like Rena Sofa or something. She, I don't know that she was ever the star of something, but she was like a guest actress in everything. Um, and she just sort of had that very glamorous but smart look that was sort of like a, a more modern, um, slightly rounder-faced version, fuller-faced version of Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. And I, I thought she was always a good modern Lois. I, I totally um, just found her. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Rana Sofer. And yeah, I could, I could of, completely I'm see I'm thinking it. 90s yeah. version of her. Yeah. I think I saw her in something, and she just sort of had like a, a good bob with <laughs> bangs, and it was just sort of like, yep, you look like Lois Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I totally uh, so that, see that. That brings us to uh, a pretty good listener question. Ace is asking, um, how did you figure out your style to await to like to, to the point where you became like it became your consistent look? Uh, and the reason they're asking is because uh, they have a friend. Oh no, I'm sorry, I misread that. They're trying to find their style right now, and they're just sort of looking for advice on how to how to develop that consistency and your like signature look. Sure. I think it kind of evolves over time and it certainly starts with what influences you. So, you know, certainly the the kind of art that I gravitate towards, whether it be sort of fine art or comic book art, there are the, the things that I, the, the, there are sort of lots of different art styles that I really like but the ones that kind of speak to me in a way that I feel like that's what I would like to kind of replicate or uh, be in the same family as, um, I can find that style in almost any era of of art. Um, and so... A lot of it starts out when you're when you're sort of early days with art and you haven't yet found your own style. What you're starting with is kind of imitation. Mm-hmm. You're sort of taking the elements of the the people whose or the artists whose whose work really speaks to you, and you try to sort of find what it is about it that is doing that talking. Um, what it is specifically about it that that is triggering you in in a creative and interesting way um and that often starts with just sort of imitating and eventually you're just sort of taking all of these elements and just through repeating over and over and over again which is just that thing of you know lots of practice you eventually start to sort of refine what what is actually you and you start to discard what is not you. And it just comes with time. It really just does come with time. And even then, you know, like I draw every day pretty much. Um, I will still have days where I'm drawing and I'm just like, I can't draw today, you know. My faces don't look right. I can't make them look like my faces. Uh, sometimes they'll look like a different artist. Sometimes they just don't look right. They don't look, they just don't look right. And so when I'm having days like that, especially when I've got a hard deadline that I have to just push through on, I'll pull out a, a page where there are no faces on it or there's few faces on it and it's all sort of background, you know, any kind of big establishing shot. 
we have to draw, you know, three-point perspective buildings. That's a good thing to draw on a day when you can't kind of find yourself artistically. Um, and those days are not common anymore, but they're regular. Mm. Um, bless you. Here it comes. Um, but they're, they're regular enough to not feel freaked out about them anymore. You know, when they happen, they're just frustrating. And it's like, oh, well, what the fuck else can I draw? Uh, okay, this page has a giant Batmobile on it. Let's draw a Batmobile, you know. And it, that is a sort of slightly different headspace, you know. The, the difference between drawing something mathematically and drawing something organically mm. is a sort of slightly different hemisphere. That makes a lot of sense. That's a great answer. Um, has there ever been a, a, a as like a potential like exercise? Do you ever try to uh, draw in different styles? Not maybe copy a different artist, but kind of challenge yourself to kind of play with other styles or other ways you would design a character or a location. Yeah, um, I find that pretty much any time I start a new title new to me title mm -hmm. is a really good opportunity to shake it up in one way or another. You know, it's still me. It's still my style. I think you can see from, you know, my DC work from Birds of Prey through to like Earth 2 or Wonder Woman, that there are consistencies that make it recognizably my art. But I think you can also see from title to title, there are slightly different approaches. Um, and a lot of that will come from, you know, what is what is the book? What is the tone of the book? What is the writer trying to achieve with the book? You know, I th probably the biggest contrast would be maybe between Teen Titans and Earth 2 because I kind of finished Teen Titans and then went straight on to Earth 2. Right. And when I started Earth 2, uh, it was... What had I been doing before that? I'd sort of done some filling on Superman and and such, but I think uh, sorry before Teen Titans, I'd done Blackest Night Wonder Woman. I was about to and ask you so, if that was right around yeah the Blackest Night stuff. Yeah, it was kind of like a decade ago, and uh, Blackest Night Wonder Woman. I knew I'd gone from Secret Six to Blackest Night Wonder Woman, and I knew that I was going from kind of like a, a goofy book to a serious book um, and from, uh, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll to horror. And so it was like, okay, I need to, and I'm also going from a bunch of D-listers to an A-lister. And so it was like, okay, I need to. Also in the middle of an event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's in, yeah. the, yes, it's got to fit into an event. So it's Wonder Woman in a very non-Wonder Woman story. Um, and so the sort of, the way you draw a character, it's not just, you know, their body language and stuff, but how you choose to angle at a character is very different for, for a D-lister to an A-lister. You know, you want, you want an A-lister to look like, uh, 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 you know, the ultimate in superpowered awesomeness. Mm. And the Secret Six, I wanted them to look like they were hungover all the time. So, you know, it's 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 a very different uh, 
camera approach as well as body language approach. Um, and when I started on Teen Titans, uh, I was very conscious of um, how sometimes the Teen Titans are drawn to look like three-quarter size adults. You know, they just look like adults, but they're slightly shorter mm-hmm. and narrower. And it's like, that doesn't cut it for me. You know, teenagers have a different body type to some, you know, a 17-year-old doesn't look like a 27-year-old who doesn't look like a 37-year-old, even if it's the same person. Your body changes. And so it was like, I, I want them to look like they're about 17, 18. And... I wanted to not put in so much shadow. So, you know, I'm like, I wonder woman, there've been lots of shadow and there've been lots of cross hatching and lots of texture and all that kind of stuff. And I just wanted Teen Titans to be sort of lighter and brighter and cleaner and, and such. And then going from that to earth Two, earth two was grittier and way more detailed and, uh, I wanted to kind of emphasize musculature. So I was putting in sort of quite heavy shadows on, on the abs and stuff, which I don't think I was doing at all on Teen Titans. It was a very so, sexy Alan Scott. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I went out of my way to make him as sexy as possible. Um, but yeah, it is, while it's still my art style, you, you do need to consider what it is that you're what your finished product needs to achieve and it needs to serve the title. It needs to serve the characters and it needs to serve the tone of the story in front of you um, as much as possible. Otherwise it's just you just blasting your ego all over everything. Um, And I'm way more interested in sort of finding out what it is that the writer is trying to achieve or, or, you know, we negotiate between us, between us, you know, what do we want this to look like? Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly, you know, when Greg and I did Wonder Woman, uh, if we'd done Wonder Woman five years earlier, we probably would have done something a little more serious and a little more um, gritty and, and realistic. And I would have approached the art quite differently, but because we were doing it in 2016, uh, and because it was an origin story and because of a whole lot of things, I just wanted the art to be uh, light and bright and all ages accessible to a degree and slightly sweet, you know, just sort of a little bit goofy mm-hmm. um, while still being quite emotionally resonant. And so, again, I kind of laid off the heavy shadows, you know, I put some texture here and there, but you know, in one panel I had like love hearts floating around Steve Trevor's head. I've never <laughs> done that before. And I can remember saying to Greg, I want to do this. I know it's really dumb. What do you think? And he was like, oh, my God, do it. That's hilarious. And we just wouldn't have done it five years ago if it was a different time and a different tone. Right. Yeah, I remember like, reading your the Rebirth stuff. Um, your art definitely, like, it it revealed like a a Diana that was you know so very new to you know man's world. There was an innocence and, I, and a naivete, but never ditzy, which I feel like would have been awful. an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, I can't, awful, I can't yeah. stand that kind of bullshit. It's like you know, naive isn't ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, naive is just you know you're out of your element. That's all. But she's still wise. 
<laughs> and she's she's still willing to put her feet down, even in a even being outside of her element. You know, she stands up for one hundred percent. What she believes is the right course of action. Um, you reminded me of the uh, the super whimsical. Um, uh, it was a cover page, if I remember correctly, not like in the issue, but it's uh, Wonder Woman in a jail cell. Uh, with like birds coming in through the window, like the Disney princess yeah. shot. Yeah, like Greg calls 100%. it the Disney princess cover. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, Greg and I kind of talked about that that um, cover because I drew that when because we were in Portland for the summer um, of that year, and I think I did that cover while we were there, and we were kind of talking about having this sort of moment of her being a Disney princess because, you know, we discussed that we didn't want to see the gods sort of actually present themselves, that we wanted to sort of indicate their presence um, by showing, um, you know, their sort of patron animals and such. Um, And it just sort of made us laugh. And, you know, Greg isn't often up for sort of doing funny, silly things in his books. You know, he's quite serious. (laughs) Um, And Wonder Woman is a character that we both take quite seriously, but there was just sort of this series in particular just sort of required charm. Um, And that was just a sort of delightful way to to sort of convey that to the audience. (laughs) Uh, since you mentioned Greg, uh, I want to double back a little bit. Uh, one of our listeners was curious, like between, um, because Greg has so many different projects that he's working on. Uh, so between you and, um, Michael Lark, uh, oh my God, I'm not gonna remember everyone's full names, but, uh, Fernandez, Greenwood, uh, everybody that is yeah. in active projects along with you, uh, on Greg, uh, do you guys have like a system? Do you guys kind of like have scheduled rotations on when you when you work uh, with Greg? When is it your turn with Greg? Oh, <laughs> um, I think it's when Greg has time, or or when whatever is the most pressing with Greg. You know, I I I don't know that I've even met everybody, uh, and we certainly sort of don't all communicate uh, on a regular basis. Um, because, you know, artists generally tend to be uh, not busier than writers because that's bullshit, but um, our job is really time-consuming where a writer's job actually requires quite a bit of time of not writing, um, you know, to let ideas marinate and and gestate and such, Um, where artists, our job tends to be from the moment we have a script, we've got the ideas rolling Mm -hmm. um, and it's just very time consuming. And so, uh, you know, Greg's got his, his Slack forum um, and I don't know how many artists are on it. It seems to be a lot of writers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's entirely up to Greg and I'm pretty sure it be, especially when he's busy, it comes down to what's the next fire that needs putting out so-and-so's been waiting the longest or so-and-so's been <laughs> stuck in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get them a script. And, right. you know, because he, he's got all of these projects marinating all the time. Um, and obviously he does need to sit down and sort of 
execute those ideas onto paper um, for us to then do our bit. But I don't think if there's any coordination going on, it's going on in his head. (laughs) (laughs) That does kind of give me like a little, like a little follow-up question to that. Um, Obviously with black magic, it must be a little different because it's, it's co-owned by you. Um, But how much of the story when you work on a book, do you like to know ahead of time? Um, like I know, like hearing from like, I've, I've mm-hmm. spoken with Michael Lark a few times at shows and he kind of likes to be surprised. Um, yeah. And Greg likes to surprise. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if Greg does this with the other artists, but I'm absolutely sure he does because he's probably the most collaborative writer I've ever worked with. You know, he, he wants to talk through the bigger ideas and themes Um, quite a lot. Um, And sometimes before actually sitting down to write the script, he'll want to talk to you again because it will help him focus. And uh, he wants to, it is very collaborative and especially sort of in the, in the early days of black magic, we would get on like Skype sessions for hours when we would sort of break down the minutiae of something, especially when it came to like Rowan's doing a spell. Um, so what is the nature of this spell? What is, you know, we would go as big and as broad and as abstract as possible so that we could narrow it down to she's going to pull out a, a, a pocket knife and she's going to carve into a Zippo lighter, you know, and, and this is the room that she's going to carve. Because Rowan's a very sort of fly-by-the-seat-of-a-pants kind of witch, you know, she's sort of like, what have I got in my pockets that I can do magic with? <laughs> Um, she's not sort of into all the sort of ceremony of things uh, terribly often. Um, So we will spend a lot of time thinking big so that we can come to something small. And so Greg and I will sort of talk about, and he'll sort of say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I'm too in my head about it. What do you think of this? And we'll, discuss it to a degree and then he goes off and he takes the sort of the abstract and he narrows it down and he does always like to keep a few surprises in the script so that when I read it I'm just like what the what the fuck we didn't talk about that or or that was a really surprising conclusion to a a situation that I did feel like I had a good understanding of and I kind of knew what the result would be, but how he got there mm-hmm. is surprising, you know. So he does he does like to surprise, and I like to be surprised. But at the same time, before getting to that point, there's there's quite a lot of communication. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was curious about is if, as an as an artist, do you prefer, you know, that you know that style, or sometimes you're like, and maybe it's different on a work for hire job, but you're like, look, just just give me the script. I'll just. Uh... I'll just go. Yeah, look, it it depends on how familiar you are with the writer. Um, mm. You know, there there have been some projects that I've worked on where it's like, oh, we're not necessarily a good team. I feel like I can do a good job for this writer's requirements, but we think very differently about narrative. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm sort of t- teamed with a writer that I think is a great match but, and and we're not communicating, you know, they're just sort of delivering scripts. And like the final issue of a story of 
like an arc will be paced well, paced well, paced well. And then the last couple of pages is like, here's half an issue's worth of information in, in like the last three pages. And it's like, well, you didn't pace that out very well. That's, that's shit. Now I've got to do the work of making it paced out better by sort of shuffling shit around or whatever, you know? So it, it, it's very different sort of very different relationship writer to writer. Sometimes, you know, I'll get a script from a writer that I've never met on a character that I've never worked on and just sort of in doing my research and sort of trying to understand the intent of the tone of the story. Um, uh, I can sort of feel like I'm getting there. I, I did a story. Um, who wrote it? Was it Ron Mars? It was somebody. Oh God. I'm, I'm probably stuffing it up. Um, <laughs> this is ages ago. This is like 15 years ago. And it was like a season five of Angel story about Illyria. So when Fred becomes Illyria, it was kind of a one-issue, one-shot story about her. And is that romance? I can't remember who wrote it now. God, that's terrible. Um, and I'd never met the, the writer. I hadn't watched the show, so I had to sort of binge season five of, of Angel. <laughs> and then sort of, you know, binge the rest of it while I was working just to sort of get an idea of who she was. And by the time I got to the the sort of climactic moment, it's quite an emotional moment for a very non-emotional character. Um, I had to sort of a, achieve an emotional state without sort of giving her facial expressions. It was very strange. And so <laughs> it was all about body language and, um, and, it was probably about seven years later that I finally met the writer and he said to me, Oh my God, you drew that Illyria issue. I love that issue. You nailed that moment. And I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, that's, <laughs> that's really nice to hear, especially in retrospect. <laughs> and it was, uh, I just, I did a quick, it was a uh, Peter David. It was Peter David. That's right. <clears throat> oh my God, right. of course. <laughs> I actually met him at a convention in Australia when Greg was out here. And I was sitting with Greg going, I've done a job with him. And apparently he's sort of notoriously angry person or something. I don't know. Um, I think lots of artists had warned me, you know, don't get excited about meeting this guy because he can be, he can be, oh, no. you know, pretty intense. And he was so nice to me. It was really, it was really quite a, a, a nice surprise. That's cool. Better than the other way around for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> So I'm curious, um, and like you might already have something in the works for this or or not, but I know that there was a point in your career where your sort of like dream book was to do Wonder Woman uh, and then later evolved into like Wonder Woman origin story with Greg Rucka. And now, and now you've done that and then some, like you've, you've covered the superhero universe pretty handily at this point. Do you have a new sort of rung that you're reaching for as like a dream job in, in the comics industry? I think when it comes to like, there are, there are favorite characters that I haven't really had enough chance to play with or any chance to play with yet that I would love to do. And there are sort of tones 
of story that I would like to sort of have a bit more of a chance to play with. Um, but when it comes to a sort of like a specific dream project, not, not particularly because I feel like um, Wonder Woman and Black Magic are probably like the peak of my fantasy, you know, dream scenarios mm-hmm. in that, Wonder Woman was the reason why I decided to draw comics in the first place. And she's been, she was the first sort of fictional character. She was the first character in, in any context that resonated with me when I was little. And that's probably sort of quite why I haven't grown out of her because she was the first one and she's it. You know, everything is but measured by her. And so the importance of the the dreaminess of that dream project was so significant and so huge that the fact that it has become a reality is quite overwhelming. And now I'm just sort of like, well, what now? Um, the, The what now is kind of the opportunity to not feel so overburdened by my passion for something because that was actually a really tricky job to do um as exciting as it was to get it especially under the parameters of what we had you know which was pretty open and the fact that I got to do it with Greg the fact that Greg and I spent a decade talking about this you know there was there was so much excitement and and sort of perfect ingredients going into it but the doing of it was so emotionally taxing and overwhelming because it's one thing to sort of fantasize about your dream job, but then to actually have the, the restrictions of doing it. Therefore, you know, Greg and I talked in, in a sort of incredibly ephemeral way for such a long time, but then to sort of say, okay, we have six issues of 20 pages each, uh, these are the beats, you know, these are the, all of this stuff we just have to forget about because it's just not going to fit in. We're not doing an ongoing, here's where we get to sort of, you know, we're we're not doing a series, we're doing a movie. So we have Mm -hmm. to be very specific about what we're going to tell, how we're going to tell it, all that kind of stuff. And so a, a lot of ideas just don't fit in with what we're doing. So we just have to do what we're doing. And then even within that, it's like, well, anytime I'm drawing a splash page or the first time I'm drawing her in costume or it just anything, I'm drawing the competition. The competition is a huge thing to me. I'm designing what Steve Trevor's going to look like. Anything that has any emotional resonance to me has kind of a little too much emotional resonance. And therefore it's impossible to feel satisfied with anything because in my head, it's always better. Um, you know, in my head, I've got the music going in the head, in my head, I've got the movement. I've got, you know, you've, you've got the whole movie in your head, but in front of me, I've just got the fucking piece of paper and my markers and I've got to kind of achieve all of that in this sort of static moment. And I found doing that book was incredibly overwhelming. And I spent most of my time going, I can't wait until this is over. And I can just be really happy that I've done it Um, because it's not the most pleasant thing to be doing. It was so, it was so wonderful to do and it was so um, exciting to do, but it was also just really overwhelming to do. 
it's 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 like that. So joke now of anything, like, you know, anything's a, 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 right. a breeze. It's like that joke of like being careful to get what you want because then you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Then you have to do it, and it, it is one hundred percent that. Especially when all the ingredients that you fantasy version of, you can't just sort of if you fail at it or if you feel like you failed at it, you can't blame it on the ingredients not being there because all the ingredients were there. Um, and so, you know, I am really happy with the results, but 100%, there are things on probably every page that I would change, you know, given, <laughs> oh. given some distance from it. Like I'm, I, I love the, I love the book and I love that it's had so much sort of resonance with people. And I love that DC keeps sort of reprinting it and, that it has become sort of like their standard for Wonder Woman at the moment, which is really flattering and really lovely. And, and, you know, that's part of the fantasy of your dream project is that it gets to have this shelf life and have this meaning for readers. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I don't look at it and find where I could have done better or done different. And is it weird little minuscule stuff? You're like, Oh God, look at her left foot there. What was I thinking? 100% things that no one else would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every artist no, I've then, ever known. You know, there are also panels that I'll look at and I'll just go, that panel, that's perfect. That is perfect. Just the way it is. Oh, that is <laughs> a nice feeling though. It is a very nice feeling. That is a, a, quite the burden to bear knowing that DC is saying this is, this is our go-to origin story now since within our lifetime it has been I think the last time they did that where it was that solidified was George Perez. Yeah. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. And you know, Superman and Batman have had their origin stories retold every, you know, half an hour. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, if she's part of this Trinity, Mm -hmm. I think this is kind of why they, you know, DC kind of came on hand and they to Greg was because they've always understood how important she is. Mm-hmm. to their own uh, pantheon of characters, but also, and and the hierarchy of their characters, but also just to the world at large. They've understood how important she is, but they haven't always done the best at sort of shepherding her stories yeah. and, oh. and, and sort of corralling the various writers' directions of the character, you know, Superman and Batman, while there, ha- while there have been sort of, you know, some great Elseworld stories or, um, you know, some great, uh, you know, non-continuity stories, but sometimes even in-continuity stories uh, that are really interesting, they don't always service the character in the best way. Where Superman and Batman uh, are almost always serviced in as best way as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what what that ha- what what happens with that is that the the richness of the superman and batman lore becomes denser and more you know evocative and and there's so much more meat on the bone where with wonder woman every time they play with it they're sort of shredding stuff and not feeding into what's there but just sort of going oh i don't get it so i'm going to do this and you know, it, it was kind of really exciting and special for, for DC to say to Greg, uh, we understand how important she is and we understand that 
particularly in this year of her 75th anniversary and the movie mm. about to come out and all of these sort of, all of these things. It's like, this is the one time that we really can't afford to fuck it up. And you're the person that we're going to go to because we know that you're the one person who absolutely cannot fuck it up. He won't. So, you know, how do you, how, how do you and Nicola feel about coming to do this? And, you know, that was, that, that in itself is incredibly flattering. Yeah. It's probably that great feeling of like, I get to do it. And then you hang up the phone and think, oh, shit, I get to do yeah, it. Yeah, well, I was what like, I I just say yes a page to. of Black Magic. And, you know, Greg called me immediately after his first meeting to say, so this just happened. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, so what does that mean? And he was like, we're starting and we're starting now. And they're announcing in like two weeks or three weeks or whatever it was. It wasn't very long. Maybe it was 10 days. I can't remember, but it wasn't very long. And so it was like literally like having to rejig the brain from like, I'm in the middle of, of doing a page in the middle of a scene of black magic. And I just have to put it away for a year and go, right. Wonder woman. I draw her all the time, but now I have to decide exactly what she's going to look like in this version. So what are we doing? And it was, it was very quick, but it was also very exciting. Mm-hmm and terrifying. This is a perfect place to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. They now have limited hours, seven days a week, I believe. I think they're open from, trying to check their site here, let's just say from like 11 to 4. Uh, if that's wrong, Michael can let us know. But uh, yeah, uh, going with a mask, everyone must be fully masked. You can pick up your comics uh, if you haven't been into a comic book shop in a long time, I highly recommend you head over to Bridge City Comics and get that feeling of just looking at glorious comics on the shelf again, looking at graphic novels and trades, just just there waiting to be read. It's been so long. So check them out. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. Uh, you're going to hear uh, Nicola talk a lot about a lot of the books that she has worked on. And if they are still in print, the odds of Bridge City Comics having them or being able to get them are really high. So, um, yeah, go down there. Check out some Bridge City Comics. They, I do believe they are still doing curbside pickup if you'd rather not go into the store. So find all that out at bridgecitycomics.com. And when you do, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Because that would be cool. And then next up, Guardian Games. They have been our longest sponsor. They have been open for a while now during the pandemic. Um... But as always, like, you have to wear a mask while you're in the store. You have to wear a mask everywhere. Don't be a dick. Um, if you don't have a mask for some weird reason, they will provide you one. If you won't wear one, they will provide you the door for which you can leave. Um, so, yeah, they're being very safe there. Um, and they have a lot of amazing new games are still coming out. They still have that new release wall as soon as you walk in that is just gorgeous to look at and to, to imagine all the fantastic times you will have. Uh, there's definitely a pretty big resurgence in gaming right now, especially as everyone starts to figure out online gaming and whatnot, and Guardian Games has you set up for trying all kinds of new games, uh, re- rediscovering some of your favorites. I mean, it's it's all there. So check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Guardian Games or at guardiangames.com is another place you can find them. 
And then, as always, a huge shout out to Reverend Nat of Rev Nat's Hard Cider for hooking us up with some additional equipment so we can do these shows from our various homes and have it still sound great and fantastic. So a big shout out to Rev Nat's, the official beverage of the apocalypse. I think I can get away with saying that with the OLCC, but meh, whatever. And then finally, before we get back to it, just a quick little shout out to uh, Asylum. They are out there still bringing you the best in uh, modern and vintage furniture and stuff like that. So if you got a moment, pop on over and see them right across the Baghdad Theater in downtown. No, wait, what in downtown? On Hawthorne Boulevard. Jeez. Ah, just, this is what I get for doing the ad break before coffee. So I'm going to go get coffee and you're going to get back to the show right now. So but before we jump over to chatting more about black magic, just a, a quick little like superhero question. Are, is, is there, or really any character in pop culture, but is there a superhero character that people might be surprised to learn you've had an itching to kind of draw for and you haven't had the chance yet? Oh, um, I've never really had a chance to play with Selena Kyle with Catwoman. Oh, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. And she's one mm-hmm. of my favorite characters. And while I've sort of made a point of being, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the few go-to artists for sexy men, um, I don't often get a chance to draw sexy women, you know, because I'm, I'm not an artist that will go, okay, it's a woman, so she's sexy. You know, I, I, I want my Wonder Woman to be beautiful but she's not wearing a bathing suit for the male gaze. She's wearing uh, warrior armor. And, you know, I just, I, I'm very particular about where I apply my sex appeal to both male and female characters. You know, I'm not going to draw Superman showing his butt off, um, but I'll go to town on Dick Grayson. Okay. Um, <laughs> as, as long as you we're getting somebody's like, ass. Yeah. yeah, there are some characters that where it's really appropriate and there are some characters where it's really not. And... Um, I've never sort of had a chance to really draw and dive into a sort of sexually empowered woman character, really. Mm. You know, the, the female characters that I have drawn that are sexy are very sort of male gaze sexy, um, mm. like Vampirella or whoever. And even then I've only done like a, a cover or two. Um, and she's someone who I feel like sex appeal is part of her bag of tricks. You know, she's very in control of what she's doing and how she's doing it. And this, there's something very specific about that. Um, especially coming from a female artist. And I think you can see it in, you know, the female artists, uh, that have drawn her in the past that the sex appeal that she has, um, when drawn by them is a little different to the sex appeal that she has when she's drawn by men. So there's some point the, the work Joelle Jones has yeah, been doing about with the character. 100%. Yeah. You yeah. know, Joelle is probably my go-to Catwoman artist because she's, she's really got that, um, that understanding of how sexy she should be while not sort of sending her necessarily into pinup land mm-hmm. where I don't think she has any fucking interest in being, you know, um, the, the, it's, it's so 
define a, a, an understanding. But I, I feel like her Catwoman is probably exactly where I would try and aim myself as well because I think her, her art is just beautiful. Um, and Tula Latte as well, you know, they, they just do sort of such just mind-blowingly gorgeous art. Absolutely, um, yeah. There's a certain and, amount of you know, elegance to, to Joelle's Catwoman that I don't think I'm used to seeing from any yeah. of the um, any of the films or any of the other artwork that I've seen for that character. Yeah, really, really, absolutely. I think, you know, probably the closest um, that I think has come to, and it's probably, you know, one of her big influences as well as when Darwin Cook sort of reestablished her, you know, nearly 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever it was. Um, God, that long ago? You know, his version of Catwoman yeah. was kind of like, okay, that's exactly who Catwoman should be. You know, it, it sort of defined her style and defined her look for, you know, up until now. Um, that that was perfect. And I feel like um, what Joelle was doing is the sort of great modern version of that. And so she's a character that I'd like to play with. Yeah. Kind of a, anyone in Gotham City, I kind of love all the Gotham City characters because they are so sort of iconic and hilarious and ridiculous and, and sort of... <laughs> well conceived while also being quite over the top they're all um, a little this may not be fair but they're all a little broken in a special way that makes them kind 100%. of fun to write and draw. yeah including oh, yeah. the heroes you know right. the heroes and the villains they're all a little you know just mirror versions of each other and i i kind of love how sort of subtle as well as extreme they can be, and right. and it's a very fun world to play with. It doesn't at all surprise me that it's you know the the peak of comicsdom. I I'm also now kind of imagining you on a Catwoman and Nightwing team up book, where they oh both kind God. of acknowledge that they're both incredibly sexy, but there's also that thing where she's like, "Man, I've known you since you were like 13, though. This is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is this is going to be a little weird, kid." And he's like, I'm not a, yeah. I, "I can see that kind of fun with that." Like a caper type story with those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you filled out. Oh, that, <laughs> that would be a great uh, miniseries. Yeah, that would I, be pretty I, fun. I Alfred fed you really well, Dick. You know, the kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> some, uh, some gender swapping adultification there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. So tell us. Um, Talk to us about this new arc for Black Magic. Uh, yeah, the first the first right. you know, collection is is really about world building and getting to know Rowan and the other characters and like learning a little bit about how she uses her crafts. What? Yeah. Well, the first the first sort of volume, the hardback volume, which is the first two trades, that that is really about sort of introducing us to this witch that we're we're giving the sense that she's got a lot more going on in terms of her history and her age and her potential and how she's really not participating in it terribly much and how there are sort of nefarious forces kind of poking and prodding her to activate a little bit and this arc, this sort of five issues that are in the process of coming out that will be joined by the the next lot, 17 to 21, I'm presuming, 
um, will be essentially the, the second act of the story because the, the whole thing is going to be about 30 to 32 issues, I think, once oh, we're all okay. done. Right. Yeah, so we're kind of entering into the second act of the story. And there's been a little bit of a time jump from the end of uh, issue 11. And... Because it was here, Halloween here, and then now it's May. Yeah. Like we went from so I think, yeah, Sawway into about six months have gone by. Yep. And what's happening now is that Rowan kind of has activated a little, but a bit sort of randomly and irresponsibly. And <laughs> it's not being directed. It's just a little self-serving. She's kind of falling off the edge a little bit. And this issue, this sort of, this arc, these sort of five, five issues are kind of about that sort of um, looseness that she's suddenly got going on in terms of how, she, how she's approaching her magic, being sort of pushed a little closer to the edge, um, little by little, as she's getting a more and more isolated from her support network. So that's essentially what this arc is about. And you'll sort of, you can kind of see it in the first issue in issue 12. Um, yeah. You definitely that. get that vibe of um, like you've, if she's been through some shit, she's not processing it. And so she's starting to show like, you know, just like the beginning of, of some self-destructive behavior. 100%. And she's been there before, you know, after her mum died. Um, she's She's been there in terms of how she's uh, dealt with her magic. You know, uh, after her initiation ceremony, her awakening ceremony, when she was 13, um, she kind of went a little bit off the edge then and became a little self-destructive she's kind of been in a stasis mode of not really developing and not participating and just kind of barely being present uh, with her witch attributes. You know, in in the very beginning of the first issue, um, we see a sort of pagan Wiccan magic circle that we return to at the beginning of issue 12 no one else in that circle besides Alex is actually capable of the kind of magic that they are. None of them have the same kind of uh, magical history and hereditary that they do. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of, you know, practicing Wiccans or they're practicing pagans or they're nudists or they're, you know, they're just sort of fringe dwellers who found this, circle that essentially Alex conducts so that she's got enough people for the primary ceremonies, the primary sort of um, lunar cycles. She's got enough people in a circle to sort of do the ritual. It's justice, but mm-hmm. beyond, beyond that space, um, you know, I don't think any of these people are great friends that hang out all the time, but Rowan and Alex have a very long history um they've come together sort of in this lifetime to support each other um to kind of be there for each other 
uh, and Rowan is kind of being a bad friend and, you know, Alex doesn't, can't sort of rely on anyone else in the circle to sort of assist her with Rowan because none of them really have any idea what's going on with, with Alex and Rowan in terms of their, their power capability and their, their history and their ability with magic inherently. Um, and so, yeah, this, this issue, this, this arc has a lot to do with their relationship as much as it does with um, Rowan's relationship with Morgan, just getting, you know, they were her two support pillars and in this arc, they're barely, they barely cross paths. And you can see how Rowan is not coping with not having those, those pillars around her. Whose idea was it to give her that edgy new haircut? Mine. So I, I gave her this sort of Joan Jett haircut from the beginning. I kind of wanted her to have something that was kind of witchy and long, but just not long black hair because that was going to bore me shitless if there was just yet another, <laughs> you know, long black hair, leather jacket wearing um, chick. It was just sort of too boring. And the shag is great for her that. an interesting silhouette. And I feel like the haircut that she's currently got in the book in issue 12 is just the fresher, shorter version of what she had. You know, um, it's... It's really just a, I, I wanted her to be a little more aggressive looking. Um, so I've shortened her bangs. I wanted to be able to see her eyebrows a bit more um, for the sort of expressive nature of her eyebrows. Um, and I wanted to make the haircut just sort of a little more decidedly tough. Um, so while it's still got the sort of long the long bits because I want it to sort of have some movement and I want it to still be a little bit sort of out of time and a little bit witchy. Um, having the sort of undercut and the shorter bangs just makes her look a little harder. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at some point it will grow out again. But at the moment, you know, this, these five issues take place over only a few days. Um, and it just sort of really serves the purpose that she looks a little uh, a little meaner. It's it's a good visual cue that basically says, just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, Morgan's growing in his dad beard and, <laughs> you know, he's sort of underslept and, and undershaved, um, not maintaining his perfect stubble. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, just sort of let, letting some of the characters evolve a little bit. How much... Um some of the more kind of some of the more the pagan elements of the book how much research do you do on on that because there's been previous issues where i've noticed like a lot of rituals and stuff that, so much research <laughs> yeah that i i would i would actually recognize different um like pagan traditions in the background i'm like oh this is not someone that's just googling which and it's like you know <laughs> yeah um no we which is a kind of my a cult genre of choice. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been a sort of fascinated and attracted by the idea of witches since I was quite young. Um, 
And I can remember sort of this moment when I was maybe like 13 or something, discovering that there were, that there were actual practicing witches in the world. Uh, and you can't say the same thing about vampires and werewolves and, you know, unless they're crazy people. Uh, witchcraft is something that's kind of, to some people, it's real because it's like a religion and it's a, it's a practice. It's a, it's, um, a lifestyle. And that made it even more fascinating to me. And, uh, I didn't grow up in a religious family at all. We have no religious discipline at all. But I feel like if I did have some religious discipline, I would currently be a witch because everything about it speaks, speaks to me. Um, I just don't have the discipline to do anything about it. You know, I've, I've read all of the books, you know, I, I buy lots of books, you know, in, in this sort of day of social media where there's sort of Instagrams and, and uh, Pinterests and, and Etsy shops and all that kind of shit for, for witches uh, and podcasts and, and everything. I dive deep into all of it because it all fascinates me. And I love that really it's essentially about creating it's creating and so I feel like it speaks to me because I'm creating art all the time it's a it's a similar kind of it's a similar kind of manifestation and so all of that makes a lot of sense to me and I've got you know shitloads of witchy accoutrement because I love it all it's it's all just sort of beautiful stuff I've got it all I just don't have the discipline to you know run around in my garden on a full moon it it has definitely never been like a more I don't want to say easier time to, to practice kind of a, a more more witch ways, but I do remember in high school, you, you basically had, what's her name, Silver Wolf and that one. There were like two books. Like that was right. it. <laughs> there, there was nothing else out there. Yeah. Silver Fox. Well, the, Silver now, Fox. Now there's, now there's a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of info and a lot of understanding and a lot of, you know, I feel like in the 90s, witchcraft sort of became quite commercialized. There were lots of, sort of books and stuff. Um, and so anytime I'm looking for research material, I'm trying to find stuff that kind of predates the, like the mid eighties, you know, anything that's older than that uh, mm-hmm. tends to have come from sort of earlier um, commitments. And I find like a lot of the new material that the kids are dealing with now um a lot of that is based on this older stuff as well. So, yeah, there was there was a sort of period in the nineties where it just sort of felt a little a little commercial, um, which wasn't my fave. But it's it's there's so much sort of rich and interesting stuff being created now. Um, I believe that to the degree that in the nineties they did both a, a, a complete idiot's guide and witchcraft for dummies. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of thing, or it's just like no thanks. No, I'll, well, do, no, the, I'll the, do without that. The the crafts uh, was a really big deal uh, for oh, yeah. for introducing more people to the concept of witchcraft, even if it was maybe not necessarily the best depiction in terms of like what could possibly go wrong. It was um, a perfect depiction of of girlfriends playing with the idea of magic, though. You know, that <laughs> sort of fir- first half of the movie is kind of perfect because. Yeah. You know, that's oh, yeah. what we were who, all doing as teenagers. Who didn't have that period in the 90s? What? Yeah, no <laughs> shit. And I, like, I was in my 20s in the 90s. 
So, you know, I was sort of a little too old to be a teenager when it came out, but it made me very nostalgic for when I was a teenager. <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. When I went through my goth phase at 13, that was exactly what I was doing. Fun fact. Um, Rachel True uh, of yeah. The Craft is an actual witch. Yeah. I think even, even, Bolk even Bolk before Bolk the, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Rachel True was into witchcraft before she did the film, though. Yes. Whereas Feruza Balk became yeah. interested because she did the film. Uh, yeah. Right. And That's fascinating. She, yeah. And I knew that because of a podcast that my partner introduced me to called Witch Wave, which Nicola was also on. Oh, yeah. I listened to that, yeah. too. Yeah. And the first one I ever listened to was uh, the Nicola one. Oh, yay. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Uh, and as you can see, almost host. everyone that she interviews, somewhere along the line, is is an artist. You know, they're a writer, mm-hmm. or they're an artist, or they're you know they're creating designers for their magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I find that just sort of uh, it it made me feel like oh maybe I am a little bit of a witch, <laughs> you know, because I tend to sort of think that of myself, but I would never uh, have the audacity to call myself. You say that, but you do spend a lot of time both like w- working in a in a ritualized manner, and also you have yeah. you have manifested things in your life. So I think that yeah. uh, I think that anyone who considers themselves a witch would look at you and and, and confirm that you are in fact, in your own way, pretty yeah. witchy. And yeah, the- which I think you know almost all witches are. You know, I yeah. don't think I don't think there's a witch in the world that's actually uh, you know celebrating every full moon because that's and exhausting. I- and I also, I definitely like to like kind of back up with what Denise says. Like, I definitely see it um, in your work, even just in the color choices in, in Black Magic. Everything has very much an elemental look to it, has an elemental palette. You know, oh, it, good. like one page will have, you know, earth tones. and You'll see it like flow into water tones and then fire work its way in. Like it's a very, just on a visceral level, it connects on a very elemental uh, vision or uh, you know vision to it, and that's definitely something that like drew me when like when I initially saw the book. I was like, oh, even visually, there's something completely different happening in this comic. I, I oh, think that's you can... that makes me really happy because yeah. that that's exactly what we're what we're doing. You know, I'm sort of I'm I, I'm, I'm very control freaky about you know how <laughs> exactly how everything looks at the end of the day because I've got a very firm idea of what magic would look like if we could see it mm-hmm. um although speaking of that so you said it's all watercolor is there any kind of digital in- enhancement that goes yeah, so once it goes the, to print or i was just curious the color itself is digital mm-hmm. um except for at the end of issue 11 or sort of midway through issue 11 uh rowan goes to color for a little bit for a few panels for a few pages that i painted um, but beyond that, almost all the magic that you see on the page that's in color, that's all digital. Right. Um, but pretty much everything else is painted. Um, just because, uh, I'm a control freak and I can't let it go and I'm not very good at the digital stuff. You know, that's where I get Kiara in who does all the sort of digital magic color for me. And, you know, sometimes I'm very specific. I'm like, you know, I need this spell to look a little bit like a nebula um, and in this kind of colour spectrum and that's too much. You know, it's got to be way more subtle, way more subtle, way more subtle. And other times when, like in the first issue where 
our hostage taker uh, sort of self-immolates and, and bursts into flames. Um, I had said to her, that needs to not look just like fire. It needs to look like extraterrestrial. It's got to, it's got to be acidy and, and weird. So kind of go for it and we'll see where we go. <laughs> and she sort of did what she was saying was like a, 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 a first pass at just sort of putting some color down. And I loved it. And then she did what she said was the finished colors and I didn't like it anymore. And I was like, no, that's too saturated and it's too muddy and messy and it's, there's too much going on there. What you did for the, the sort of the mock-up, that's actually perfect. Just do that. <laughs> just do that. That was, that was ideal. So sometimes I just sort of say to her, look, just experiment with some things, but these are kind of the, the broader parameters. And other times I'm like very, very, very specific about, no, it's got to be really little and subtle and, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I can be a real pain in the ass. Well, I mean, particular, particular, yeah, like particular, particular. Yes, very, very particular. <laughs> I mean, this one's your baby. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that you're, you know. It really is. Cable, I think you had a question earlier. I did not have a question. I had an observation, but uh, it, the moment's passed. It's fine. No, it's sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> we've had a few people in the, in the chat asking if there's actual Pinterest page for witches, and we're like, and yes, there are. There are I'm a lot. Sure, there are. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, there is a, a Pinterest. There is a lot. I think witch Pinterest could be a whole its own thing. Its, it's own website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I've lost my chat connection because I'm not seeing any new questions. So you guys are going to have to take over for there, me there. There are a couple old questions. Um, yeah, one sure. is, do you have a favorite type of scene to paint, landscape, conversation between characters, action, etc.? Mm, I'll look, probably my favorite is sort of emotionally loaded conversations. But if that was all I was drawing, I'd get real bored really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's what I like about comics so much is that it requires variety, you know. Oh. A, a, an establishing shot, regardless of what it is, whether it's a forest or a city or whatever, can often be sort of daunting. It's kind of my least favourite thing to embark on but it's almost always my favorite thing to have achieved because I can look at it and just go wow look at that you know you've you've just created a whole world there (laughs) and I I love the sort of minutia of the detail you know whether it's a domestic setting which I think is probably my favorite to do sort of you know the inside of someone's home Mm -hmm. um because you can throw in all kinds of sort of character-based easter eggs um Mm -hmm that's probably my favorite to do, but you know, it's the variety. You know, if I, if I were just drawing sort of fight scenes all the time, I'd be the most bored person on the planet. Uh, but you know, doesn't provide a fight scene once or twice an issue is actually pretty fun. (laughs) I had someone, uh, uh, send a message and ask how much is Rowan's cat based on your cat? Uh, attitude wise, probably quite a bit at the moment but the cat that i have now is not the cat that i had when we started mm. um my opposite cat died um but 
yes, our current Cat Periwinkle, she's uh asshole. Um, she's lovable and she's adorable, but she's a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, so we're yeah, all cats so, so if they're not, doing not it right. Quite, not quite. Hawthorne's Hawthorne's quite sort of loyal as well as an asshole. Right. Well, the best, the most loyal people usually are. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're telling Truth you what you power. don't. They're telling you what you need to hear, even though you don't want to hear it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, is there? See, I want to ask you, like, is there something you can tease us coming out on Black Magic? But I also know the answer is no, because that's not how comics work. <laughs> no. <laughs> not really. There's a lot of. There's a lot of the CEO. So the CEO is our sort of head demon character that we introduce at the very end of our first um, little story arc at the end of issue five. Um, And she reappears a couple of times in, in the second half of uh, that volume. Um, And she's the one that sort of freezes time and, and takes uh, Morgan's newborn baby hostage for a bit. She's quite the player in this arc and she's a really fun bitch of a character to draw. She's, um, she's, if anyone's a fucking asshole, it's her. And she pops up a lot, um, which is kind of fun because she's there to really give Rowan a hard time. I was going to ask, is it fun to draw someone that's just so nasty? Like, I can imagine you the whole time, like, oh, God, you're so awful. (laughs) She's she's such a bitch. And um, (laughs) I was going to say an Australian uh, very familiar C-word. No, she's she's a... You can get away with it here. It's fun. We know you're Australian. Oh, good. You'll be fine. Yeah, no, and, and... But she's sort of also just so cool as a cucumber all the time. Um... You know, not not a lot gets to her because she's the mastermind, really, in this story. She's the one pulling the strings. Um, and so the dynamic that sort of starts to evolve between her and Rowan is really interesting. It's really fun. So I suppose that's that's a big fat tease without being too specific. That's good work. That's good work. And then I realized we've had you on for almost 90 minutes. This might, that might be a good little oh, okay. tease. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's about how long we do the show. And I was like, oh, man, we just keep yammering on and on. <laughs> In the best way possible. That's right, I talk too much. No, no, that's usually my job. <laughs> Ask anyone. Um, so issue 12 came out last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So are you guys on a, uh, a five-week schedule? Is that how this one's going? No, I don't think so. I think it, well, I don't know. I think it's like the last Wednesday of the month. That's what we used to be on. I'm pretty sure that's what we're on now. It's like the last, the last sort of uh, new comic book day of the month. Okay. Um, for these five issues, and then after that, I'm not 100 percent sure because neither Greg or I are 100 percent sure of our workloads uh, over the next few months. But hopefully it won't be another giant uh, wait before the next five issues come out. I, I definitely we know. Saying, I def- we don't want to be doing this when we're 60. This is getting ridiculous. Right. Come on. I definitely know readers don't want to wait that long again. And I, yeah. I would love myself in that. 
I mean, we will, but we don't want to. Yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) By the time issue 16 comes out, we will be halfway through our story. Okay. Okay. Well, Nicola, thank you so much for popping on the show this week. It was so amazing to, to talk to you. That's a pleasure, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and hopefully when everyone can travel again, you know, we can get you back out to Rose City sometime or yeah, that'd find be a nice. way for us to go visit a show out there. Either way, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, cool. Well, Nicola, thank you so much. We're going to let you pop off there or, you know. <laughs> thanks for having me, everyone. Yeah, thanks a thank lot. Thank you. Good to talk with you. Thank Take you. care. Right. See you next time. Yep. <sighs> the Zoom always makes the sign off so weird. Oh, yeah. Uh, it helps if you change the settings so that you don't have to confirm you want to leave. I'm like, yes, I asked to leave. Don't ask me. Just do Multiple it. Multiple times. Yes. But you can turn it off, thing. and that makes a difference. And then it's just the awkward pause. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. That was amazing. Yeah, Indeed. she's always really great to talk to. Yeah. Um, uh, Denise, to answer your question from earlier, the thing that I was going to point out was that an argument could be made that almost all artists who work in all mediums, some of them can be looked at as magic users or spell crafters because there, there's a difference between creating art and there's a difference between creating art that immediately invokes emotion, feeling, and grabs someone. And those are, those are, people who are clearly the D&D spellcrafters. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and, and that can be, and I don't limit it just to artists or visual artists like uh, painters, illustrators, but to writers, to sculptors, uh, to musicians. Because you, you can find that type of spellcraft in every art medium. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. You can, you can be a creator, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily... And I mean, it's different for different people, you know, like just because, you know, something that Nicola draws evokes emotion in me doesn't necessarily give, I mean, and everyone feels that way for other people. They might have a different, you know, handful of artists, which, which give them those vibes. Right. Yeah. Few and far between are the, the artists that can reach the masses with that. Just just universally magical in their, in their works. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Next week, Cable, do we have a... You're talking about a guest for next week? Or am I getting dates um, I wrong? I have not confirmed. Okay. Um, so we're on a roll, man. I will I will keep you posted. Fantastic. Um, but if, if we do not... Um, I also have sub- subscribed and backing that other thing that I was talking about. So yeah. I'm going to send an email off this week, maybe yeah. even this evening... Uh, you got someone else. You've got someone's phone number anyway. I do, <laughs> which is so weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I also like. I'm going to start out by emailing them. Sure, right. you'll all be copied in. Um, maybe make sure you drop that do... track in the park connection. Oh, I'm 100 <laughs> going to do that. I'm going to actually send one of the the photos that we're both in together. Oh, that's um, right. You yeah. Um, kind of give away what we're talking about, but it's fine. Uh, hopefully, maybe we can make it a two for one. That'd be cool. I think so. I think Shoot it would for be the fun moon. To, 
I would, I think it'd be fun to have both of them on. And uh, I've listened to so far one episode of their podcast and I'm going to listen to the other. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it is. And they just like to sit around and shoot the shit and talk about nonsense like we do. So, right. Well, here's hoping. Uh, And with that, I think we should wrap up the show this week. Does that work? Uh, That's, that's totally fine with me. This, uh, like struggling to focus today. Yeah, well, it's because you've been doing too much of your drops. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Accidentally uh, taking ten doses of of edibles really messes you up, guys. <laughs> that that also sounds glorious at the same time. It kind time. of does. So it's a, it's a particular extract that I purchased because. Um, Womp womp. I was looking for something to help with sleep. And mm. while I did not get to sleep any sooner than normal, I slept real, real hard. And most of the day I've been only like 80, let's say it's like 70% awake and like cognizant of what's going on. Well, um, enjoy that. And I've been hungry all day. Like literally I just wanted to do nothing but eat all day. I'm barely awake, just like shoveling yogurt covered pretzels in my mouth. Um, Just imagining you on the couch, like summoning Christian, like, honey, oh, food. Seriously, I've had like four meals today, plus snacks. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, I don't know about good. You know what? For one day, it's fine. Because the world world is hot garbage. So enjoy your, enjoy today. And I definitely got that sleep I wanted, so. I plan on going to sleep damn near as soon as we end this, this, uh, this show. Well, all right then. All right then. Well, with that. On that note. On that note, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Pinarita. And I'm Cable Hashitani. And one more huge thanks to Nicholas Scott for chatting on us this week. And as always, tear gas Ted, fucking resign. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.